Lauren Dallas is a creator, a coach, an educator, a growth marketer, a hedonist, and the CEO of Future Females. She has started five businesses and shut three of them down. In this episode, Lauren talks about going broke, imposter syndrome, the realization that she cannot be a successful multitasking entrepreneur, how embracing her personal brand changed her business forever, and how shrinking margins led to a breakdown that was the catalyst for her next business. My name is Nick Harrell-Ambus, and I don't want to keep you waiting any longer. So remember, it's not over until it's over. Okay, welcome back to another episode of It's Not Over. I'm really excited to be talking with Lauren. Today, I've been following Future Females for a while and everything you do is awesome. You've had me on a couple of shows and now it's time to reciprocate. So welcome and thank you for joining me. Thank you so much, Nick. Very happy to be here. Hello to all of our listeners. Wicked. As with every episode, I'm going to ask you to set the scene. Tell me what business it is that we're talking about, what you do, how you make money, who you built it with, and anything else you think is pertinent to the conversation we're about to have. Okay, perfect. So, I mean, I've started five businesses, many, many other ideas, and I currently run one. So there's quite a few different things that we could be talking about. What I currently do is Future Females, and that really is a community for female entrepreneurs that provides you know, educational support, coaching, access to funding, everything you could need really to build a profitable online business. So we are just over four years old with Future Females, and the growth has been insane. I'm a growth marketer, so that's what I get off on. So we're in like 55 cities, we have 90,000 members. We've of course had our challenges that we can touch on. But I think what might be even more relevant was the businesses before. Specifically, I started a business called The Growth Academy about five years ago. It actually ended up funding Future Female, so it wasn't all bad, but um, it was also an e-learning platform that sold social media training courses, Facebook and Instagram. And that's the one that had the neo-business death experience. (laughs) Okay, that's awesome. I'm interested to hear where this is going to go and unravel, but first tell me about why you built this business what kind of gap you saw and where you were in the world at the time like were you based in South Africa targeting globally or like what was I'm not South African this accent is definitely a blend but I moved from (laughs) Australia to South Africa what five and a half years ago so I ended up If I take it back, the third business I was involved in starting actually went into liquidation. It was a tech marketplace. We were trying to solve the recruitment landscape forever, and we built this beautiful piece of technology. We went through two rounds of funding. We had this epic office. We had like the pool table, because you got to have the pool table. Uh, (laughs) I had built up a sales team before we needed them, so they were trained and ready to hit the ground running. And then no one wanted the platform that we had built. So I wasn't the founder, I was just on the founding team, but I felt very responsible as the, the person who had brought everyone in. I remember it was like end of, end of November and we couldn't pay salaries and not a good time to go and try and fundraise. So December, January, and the business went under and I had to make myself and everyone on my team redundant, which was a really tough experience. So. I guess I did what a lot of people do. I sold out, I went back into corporate, I got into consulting. I did two good years and then my entrepreneurial spirit was like, quit it all, just quit, just leave. And that's what I did. So (laughs) 
quit my job, left my friends, moved to South Africa where I knew no one, I knew my fiance. And I was like, I'm gonna start a business that helps South African entrepreneurs. I have to say that is a more stable response to a business failure than basically I've ever had. <laughs> I, I have learned that I have got a rebound issue. I build rebound businesses. When I fail, I launch into the very first nearest idea I have and I dive in head first. And then five years later, I'm like, I don't know if I really want to be here. And I don't really know why I started this business. So I've actually got triggers now for people around me, my close friends and my partner, that they're like, is this really the business you want to start? Or is this a rebound business because you failed in the last one? And now I have to have these triggers. So I would much rather entrepreneurs go, actually, fuck it, I'm going to go get a job for two years, earn some stable income and see what opportunities lie. So I like that approach. Well, I was also trying to build a nail clipper business at the same time. <laughs> I was like, people are buying nail clippers on Amazon for $17. This is insane. Literally $17. So I got the design done. It was called Kerry Clippers, my brother's middle name. Why not? Uh, picked the design, like a smiley face on it, and I never actually launched it. <laughs> That is fantastic. So many interesting nuggets here. Okay, so business number three goes under. You spend two years in a corporate and then you start seeing gaps everywhere and you want to scratch that entrepreneurial itch. Uh, so mm -hmm. what happens next? So I moved to South Africa and I was like, I'm just going to start a business. I knew I wanted to help entrepreneurs. That's been my passion since actually my first day in a corporate job ever, which was at eBay. So I fell in love with helping people set up their stores online. That's always been my passion. So I knew that's what I wanted to do. And um, actually on the very first night in South Africa, I went out partying as you do and I broke my phone and I had ended up booking this Airbnb for a month. And it was like this underground, it looked like a sex den, like I'm gonna be honest. There were pictures of naked men on all the walls. There was a velvet wraparound couch. I loved it, my fiance didn't love it, but there were rats, <laughs> but there was no Wi-Fi. So I basically had no phone, no Wi-Fi, living in a sex den for a month, being like, how do I help all the entrepreneurs in South Africa, not even knowing one? So I went next door and I pretended I was ordering an Uber so I could get their Wi-Fi code and that my Wi-Fi had gone down. Got the code and I realized I could access the internet on my laptop if I pressed right up against the wall of my sex den and used their warehouse Wi-Fi. And when I connected, a friend had reached out to me and he was like, Lauren, I'm worried about you. I think you should go and meet some people in a co-working space. So that's what I did. I met some entrepreneurs and, and I realized that I'm really good at social media and that is a skill that everyone needs. But in South Africa, there was a massive gap. No one was teaching it. Everyone was doing it for you. So that's where the concept came from. Yeah, and I like the idea um, of you when you can help somebody else learn a skill to make money, you're in business. Like everybody is looking for that thing that's going to help them escalate their wealth and their income. And if you can plug that gap, help entrepreneurs, teach them how to market themselves, there's something unique there. It's a different kind of business too. I have a product, I'm going to take your money and there's no value add. So that's kind of why I've always been attracted to the future female females business is you're helping a very specific key demographic empower themselves, learn something new. I know that's not the business we're talking about, but that's definitely a key thread that runs through everything you're going to be doing from this point on, I suppose. 
Absolutely. And actually, if I think about our audience, right, the common thread is that we cater to people who invest in self-development. Back then, it didn't matter what gender you are. Now we do focus on women. It doesn't matter what age, what business type. Like, as long as you are invested in self-development and have, like, relentless desire for learning, then it's a good market. I want to take a sharp left turn here and just deviate from this, the core theme um, because I'm pretty obsessed with the concept of self-development and you strike me as someone who is too. So what role does that play in your entrepreneurial life, your personal life, and how do you think about the self-development thing? And I don't mind if we spend a few minutes on a tangent here. Okay, that's a really good question and a big question. My, my Enneagram type is the enthusiastic visionary. And that makes me good at starting ideas. One of the weaknesses that I realized for that type is I don't necessarily feel and experience the depth of emotions in life. I kind of like float across, like skimming across the water, which can make me really successful in business because I believe you need to have a bad memory to keep going. But I also felt like something was missing in terms of my personal development. So. That wasn't the point that I started, but that's the point that I started really investing in different practices. So I'll share one practice that I'm doing at the moment that's been crazy transformational, and that's shadow work. Have you ever done that? I haven't, but I have heard of it, but please act as if I've never. Okay, so shadow work is essentially, so you have your ego, which is typically your masculine self, and then you have like your heart or soul, which is really where your feminine energy lives. and. It's interesting because your heart and soul level manifests far more strongly than your head. But typically, you're trying to do visioning. And you're saying, I want this. I want to achieve this. And no matter how many times you repeat it, you're not getting it. And it's because it's not what your heart and soul wants. And it can go the negative way as well. Because often, you know, something that we might desire that society doesn't think is OK or is like naughty or whatever, we suppress it. And then, of course, where does it go? It goes into our heart and soul, and then we manifest it. I'll give you an example from me. Shortly after starting shadow work, I realized that I was silently manifesting scarcity into my life. And it's not like I wasn't saying, I want abundance. I love abundance. It was because. I, as a person, my self-worth comes from being able to achieve things. And so I was attracting scarcity so I could hustle, I could overcome it, and I could have that sense of achievement. So that's Incredible. just one example of what that work has uncovered for me, and it's been so transformational. A very similar but slightly different experience of almost the same outcome for me, not with shadow work, but with my psychologist. Mm -hmm. In one of my sessions with him, he said to me, have you ever considered that you're addicted to anxiety? Mm -hmm. And I was like, what do you mean? He said, well, physiologically, do you know what your body does when you're anxious? I was like, no, of course not. Do I look like a guy who thinks about that? So he <laughs> says, well, when you get anxious, your body floods with adrenaline, your endorphins pump, you focus, and then you overcome the problem. And he said, what happens with you is you are so addicted to the feeling of overcoming it that when there is nothing to be anxious about, you invent things to be anxious about. You create drama in your brain. You force the world to be more difficult than it has to be so that you can operate at this elevated level of anxiety. And that res what you said resonates with me because I do similar things. I'm at my best when I'm struggling. And that's something I've had to overcome because I want to focus on my strengths and make them better, not harp on my weaknesses and make those better. So that resonates with me really insightful. 
But now I feel like I'm in a psychology session because that's exactly what I do as well. So <laughs> <laughs> No, when he said it to me, I was flawed. I was flawed. It took me months to process it and go, okay, but what do I do with that information? And yeah. it was months of work going, okay, but hold on. Is this actually a problem or are you making this a problem? And a lot of stoic readings have helped me to specifically with the dichotomy of control. Uh, you mm -hmm. can choose to focus your energy on something you can control or something you can't control. And my anxiety usually comes from something I can't control that I over embellish in my brain. So I'm trying to allocate my attention to things I can control and then go, okay, well, COVID isn't my doing. I can't fix that. Everybody in the world is doing that. What can I do? What, what is my control? And that helps me with the anxiety. Oh, interesting. I have a similar mm. addiction that my life coach uncovered and that is to newness. I'm a phenomenal mm. starter. I hate doing things for a second time. Like I physically repel it. <laughs> I recently ran a program of mine for the second time and it's a good program, but I did it live again. And like, mm. instead of being energized and unfortunately probably didn't show up as well for my members, I was just like, but I've done this. Like I've already gotten through this and moved on to the next thing. <laughs> Wow, that is so insightful because I, I know the kind of program you're talking about and I've done these live launches and after mm -hmm. the third one, I was like, I'm done. I, if I have to fucking look at this slide one more time, I'm going to die and then everybody will know that. So I, that resonates, I get it. Um, okay, but wait, now we've gone too far um, on the, the side here. So let's pull back. You, in South Africa, you only know your fiance, you've met some entrepreneurs, you see a gap in social media education and you start building this business. Mm -hmm. And how do you then grow and get to this near-death business experience or deathly business experience? I struggled to grow this business at first, and I've pinpointed why this is. Uh, for a lot of people in the coaching world, people are not buying your program because of the logo you put on it. Like, I made up the Growth Academy in an evening, right? They're buying it for the person behind the program and your expertise. And being a marketer, this pains me to share, but what I had done is set up the Growth Academy as like an organization. And I was trying to sell my social media training through this faceless logo. And it was such a hustle for the first six months. I realize now why I did that. It was because I was so scarred from the liquidation that I wanted to detach myself personally from any risk of business failure so that if the Growth Academy failed, I could be like, eh, that's not me. I'll move on to the next thing. There was a moment that changed everything for me. I was on Instagram as the Growth Academy, of course, and I got this direct message from someone. And it said, to summarize, like, hi, the Growth Academy. My business is really failing. I'm worried, you know, if I invest more in this, then I'll have a near business death experience. Can you help me? But it was like really vulnerable. And I read it and I was like, who am I? Like, uh, you're showing up for me and I'm too scared to be like, hey, I'm behind the scenes. I'm going to do my best to help you. And that's the point where I was like, I need to step out. I need to get out from behind this logo. I need to embrace my personal brand, which never came naturally to me before. I definitely grew into it and started selling as Lauren. And that is when the business started freaking flying. Like, it was so exciting the next six months like that business took off my partner quit his job we hired we were traveling all around the world i was like this is the entrepreneur lifestyle that i've been seeing on instagram <laughs> finally but to circle around to the near business death experience um it came slowly but then i was in it right 
Basically, the, the profit margin on my program I was selling, I was only selling one thing, just started closing. And no matter what I was trying to do, I was trying everything. I was probably part of the problem. We were just breaking even or just under every month. And I was in a new country. Our entire household was dependent on the sales of this product. Future Females was being built off the profit from this product. And I just remember feeling so stuck. We went, we were traveling back to South Africa actually when we realized we had no money. And we were trying to rent a car. And this was definitely a low point for me. We were at the register trying to like split the rental across different cards and register me and then Bevan and try to like break it all up. And we just couldn't make it work to rent a car for two days. And I remember just like running out and crying and sitting on the curb in the airport car park in Johannesburg, just being like, what the F am I doing with my life? So that was the experience. And it, it actually kind of stayed like that, if I'm honest, for nearly a year. And just some background on this. Uh, you, can, you remember the year that this started, that the business was founded? Yeah, uh, maybe six years ago. Okay, and then how long before the margin started to shrink and this airport situation happened? Around, I know exactly, 20 months. 20 months. I mean, that is a pretty, pretty impressive ascent and then descent. And then to have it continue for a year is quite brutal. So you, I mean, I don't want to be overly um, prodding here, but you are sitting at the airport in tears, reviewing your life choices, moving country, knowing one human, starting a business that is now shrinking margins. And you were sitting on that sidewalk and you're thinking what? I was thinking, can I swear on this show? Yeah, please. <laughs> I was just thinking, what the fuck? But my, my fiance says the thing I asked him most at that point in time is like, who am I? It's like, who am I? What am I even doing with my life? What do I stand for? What is my identity? What does tomorrow hold? Like, am I just worthless, I guess, is what I was thinking. I, that resonates so deeply with me, especially where I am right now. Uh, I, I've been, a, as you know, I've been an entrepreneur since I was 16. And for the last three years, I haven't been building a business. And the brutal and intense shock of identity loss from being, I am Nick the entrepreneur to I'm Nick the entrepreneur without a business. Oh, crap. Who am I? What do I do now? And it's, it's quite an intense, I, I, re I relate so deeply to that feeling of who am I? Why am I doing this? Is this going to make me okay? And so what got you up and what got you going? Because a year is a long time to feel that feeling. I guess I'm, I'm trying, I tried to pinpoint it and I was thinking about it obviously before the show. And I was like, maybe I've buried the real reason because I don't want to think about it. But I know there was one more low moment that instead of sitting in it, just made me drive forwards. So I sat in it for about a year and I just actually remember feeling very trapped because I was scared to try anything new for fear that it would perform worse than the strategy I was already executing. And I was like, I can't afford for this to not work. And so I was like every month just watching our savings, which we didn't really have, just dwindle and going, what do I do? I think the moment where I was like, actually something big needs to change was Future Females was running, but not profitable. It was just a community, not just, but it was a community at that point in time, which wasn't monetized. And I was featured in Cosmopolitan magazine, which is like a childhood dream of mine. And I went down to buy the magazine from the store a year after I started experiencing this like near death. 
and I couldn't pay for the magazine on my credit card. And so I called my fiance, he came down, he lent me like the $4 or whatever it was. And I stood on the sidewalk holding this magazine of me empowering women. And I was like, I am such a fraud. Like, what the hell? And I was like, I'm not gonna do this anymore. Something is going to change. And so I did a couple of things. The first was I launched a program under Future Females. I was like, keep this thing going, but try something else here. And we launched our business school accelerator. It's a three month program, very much in my wheelhouse, helping you start and grow your business online. And we pre-sold, which is now my new favorite strategy. So we pre-sold something that didn't exist to 34 people, which was just over $30,000 of revenue. And, um, built it from there. And we've never stopped delivering it. Now we've had like 2,000 entrepreneurs graduating. So that was, that was one of the things I did. Uh, the second thing that I did was really, I guess, self-discovery. I realized I was like seriously undercharging for what I was offering. I was charging 2,000 Rand for a program that should have been 8,000. And so I just upped the price and my profit margin went back up and I gained more confidence and then I upped it further. and. Now I really just operate in that high ticket space where you can have way less clients and way higher profit margin and way more attention on them as well. I want to dig into those two things you've mentioned. So the first is I am with you. I love the concept of pre-selling. My, my How to Build a Side Hustle course basically promotes this too. Is, oh, you don't have something to sell. No problem. I didn't have something to sell when I built my course you are the first people doing the course and you paid for it and now I've built the course. So can you explain this idea of pre-selling? Yeah, absolutely. So it's actually something I teach. I run a mastermind that helps people to launch their own online courses. And it's actually teaching you exactly how to design something to pre-sell. And then I suggest delivering it live for the first time. So you don't even have to like deal with the anxiety of making it all before week one. But essentially we call it your minimum viable experiment, which is like, if you look at what you do have, like your time, your energy, your money, or lack thereof, what is the smallest thing you can do using those resources to try? And for me, I'm pretty good at whipping up web pages or landing pages. So we did that, we shared it out into the ether on social media, and we got people to apply. I did one-on-one -on -one phone calls with every single person, spoke to them, and secured them into business school. Another minimum viable experiment for someone to like pre-sell a concept Actually, this guy, I ended up buying a really high ticket program from a Word document he sent me on WhatsApp. It was a $10,000 program I signed up for through WhatsApp. And I was like, <laughs> actually, this is all you need. You don't need all the fancy bells and whistles. And in fact, it felt more personal because it wasn't polished. Like I kind of felt more inclined because he'd WhatsApped me and normally that's like off bounds. So... I just, yeah. I really want to dig into that to help <laughs> listeners understand the value of what you've just said. Mm. Because in my course, everybody says, the first thing they say is, I need a logo. I got to register a business. And in fact, I'll take that even further. The slow fund that I started where I'm helping people start their own businesses, giving away free money. So many of the people, when I coach them, say to me, I'm going to use some of your money to register my business. And I'm like, whoa. That is a waste of money. That doesn't help you make sales. You need a minimum viable product and I prefer minimum viable experiment now. So what you've just helped listeners understand is if you are struggling, all you need is someone's phone number and a good document with a, a very intense selling proposition and then you've got a business.
that's it. That is the world we live in today. Like that is life changing for most people. Absolutely. And I think we can get so overwhelmed with technology. Um, and I love living in this space, you know, and I think you do mm. too, but mm. you don't need it. I actually, it's weird that we're talking about this now because I wrote on my phone, like I write notes in my sleeve, I'm sure a lot of you do. Uh, and I just wrote, how do businesses sell without social media? And like, that's something I just want to investigate this weekend because there's multi, multi-million dollar businesses that are not on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, whatever. And I was like, I've almost forgotten all the other things that you can do. One of the things that people say to me all the time when I coach them uh, from 300 million rand businesses or whatever, $15 million businesses down to people starting is I just need some money so I can do social media marketing. And I'm like, Whoa, 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 why, why, why? And what's happened from what I'm observing is social media has replaced the hard work of building a good and engaging story that you tell to the right customer. People just think, oh, I can put up an Instagram ad and it'll show people the ad and I'll be fine. But no, if you have a shitty product and a shitty story and a shitty ad, you're gonna have a shitty result. It, like social media is not a fix for everything. So I'm so glad you said that. If you write something, I'll share it on that yeah. <laughs> perfect um, okay <laughs> so i want to i then want to jump back to which i think is a super important point that uh, i've also come across a lot and i'm sure you have too that price increase thing mm -hmm. it's something that most people will shy away from and again big businesses to small businesses when i was in retail people told me you can't have a 200 rand pair of socks and i was like why why not i don't i don't care let's try it so what was going through your mind at that point of inflection where you were like, oh, shit, I got to double my prices. Did you think it would work? Were you anxious or were you just like gung ho? I was actually, you know, I'm a marketer. So the concept of raising my prices, I understood in terms of being customer facing. My fear was the responsibility, if I'm honest. I was like, mm. I feel less responsible to your outcome if I'm selling a 2,000 Rand program than an 8,000 Rand. Because I know mm. like what size of investment that is to someone or to a member that's been going through. And I guess maybe I was feeling a little close to burnout at the time. And so the idea of having even more people and being more invested, just whew, I was repelling it. And then what, what, did that force you or cause you to do once you had raised your prices? Um, like in terms of the responsibility, I mean. So, and yeah. I know I know the feeling actually because I did something similar and added a zero to my course. And then I was like, oh, fuck, I better add more value too. And I just piled on as much value as I could to alleviate my imposter syndrome. Yeah, I think, I mean, a couple of things. Firstly, I, I realize that I feel committed anyway. It actually doesn't matter. Like someone who's not even paying me and reaches out through Instagram, I'm like, yes, we can tackle this together. Like we're all in this community. It really doesn't matter. And I was like, I think that that's just self-doubt talking. So that was one thing. And then the other was the reality of the type of customer that you get when you have a higher price point. And I don't know if this translates across all industries, but selling a program for 2000 Rand is almost a little flippant for people. And so they don't necessarily do it. And my completion rate wasn't that great. But for our business school, which is around 11,000 Rand, we have over 80% completion rate. And I genuinely think the size of the investment is related to that. So now I see that they're getting the value because the price was higher. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. I mean, as a, an entrepreneur, you now will know this too, that the people who pay you the least, whether it's B2B or B2C, are often mm -hmm. the worst and most difficult clients and demand the most from you. So wow. you may as well double your price or add a zero because they're going to be shitty customers anyways. <laughs> exactly. And rather have fewer yeah. good ones. <laughs> yeah. Exactly right. I think that's a pertinent point. Okay, so I think uh, after this, you've now raised your prices, you've got income coming. And did you at some point decide to shift your focus to future females and drop the other business? Did it fizzle out and die? Or is it still running and you amalgamated the two? Mm. So um, the Growth Academy really has become like Lauren Dallas. And okay. I guess one of the reasons was, I was trying to run these two businesses at the same time. But I've realized my personality can't do that. Like I cannot multitask. I'm like so laser focused and, and crazy obsessive personality. Like I'd be going for walks on the prom with my fiance, we'd go hundred meters and I'd be like, <gasps> he goes, we have to turn around, don't we? I'm like, yes, now let's go. <laughs> he knows the gasp, like I'm that obsessive. And so, uh, yeah, I remember sitting down with my mentor and she and I was like, I'm really struggling. I feel like I'm in two places. I feel like I'm two people, two identities. And she was like, you're actually just you. So what you should do is just embrace Lauren Dallas because people still buy into future females because I founded it and started the vision. Definitely not just me anymore, but I was the activator. And then the Growth Academy exists, but it doesn't really do anything. Uh, we sometimes work with like accelerators or corporates to train their marketing teams, so more B2B. I want to touch on the mentor thing because I think it's an important one that, that people struggle with and desire all the time as young entrepreneurs or solo entrepreneurs. So how did you find a mentor? How did you approach them? And how long have you had mentors in your career? So when I moved here, and as you know, I didn't know anyone, I eventually, when I moved into a place with Wi-Fi, I decided I'm going to have a coffee a day. Out of with the sex den? Yeah, I mean, I win some, I lose some. <laughs> so, yeah, so I decided I'm going to have a coffee a day with someone that I don't know. And I literally just reached out through LinkedIn to people who I probably never thought would speak to me and ended up getting such a positive response. One of the people I can mention is G. He, he runs Startup Grind, or he used to run the Startup Grind community. And he became basically the mentor that helped us shape future females. We had a WhatsApp chat with him called How Not to Fuck Up Future Females. We were like, gee, we're fucking it up again. He's like, don't worry, do this. <laughs> that is um, so great. He is such a mensch. It's the only word I could think of. Yeah. He really, really is. So yeah. it was quite organic for me. I wasn't like, I need a mentor because I don't think it's something that can be transactional. I think there really has to be that relationship before so for me it's been friendships that have evolved into that and also at points in time when you know it comes in and now it falls out when you go on to the next stage of business yeah i agree with that i think it's important to find them to be more organic than transactional because transactional means that someone is going to lose at some point and yeah. that's not ideal. You mentioned something that also piqued my interest that I struggled with at Nakari, my, my fashion brand, is separating the human founder from the brand. And is that something you've had to work, because you, you guys have scaled dramatically over the last five years. So how have you scaled Lauren? And how have you gotten other people behind this vision that isn't you anymore, it's this bigger thing? Yeah, I don't think that I've figured it out, if I'm honest. I kind of think of it as this like accordion effect where I'm like, cool, I can I can step out a little bit further. And then I'm like, 
suddenly something isn't going so well, I'm like back in. That's also my management style, unfortunately for my team. But that's been my experience of it. I think what I embraced at the start of COVID was the B2B strategy for online programs. And it's, I don't know why I had, I didn't think it was as sexy as B2C. So I hadn't explored it, but that's been one of the biggest growth avenues for us as a business. And, and we do a lot of government funded work, for example, in emerging to support entrepreneurs there and victims of gender-based violence. And it almost doesn't feel appropriate for it to be me in those situations. So I had some good training. Like I've never been to Nigeria, for example. So how could I be the face of an entrepreneurial empowerment program in that country? So I guess I am good at actively finding and letting other people step in. And that's also why Future Females has grown. I think my zone of genius is building a platform upon which other people can be successful. Um, mm. And that's what I do in everything. What comes to mind is that um, old saying, you can go fast on your own or you can go far together. Yeah, exactly. And I remember one of my happiest moments was we had a, a new Kenyan ambassador who I had never spoken to. First time we'd recruited someone that I hadn't spoken to. And I'm on Instagram stories because she's posting her launch event. And I'm obviously anxious, like, is the brand going to be represented? And she stands up and she's like, future females exist to increase the number of female entrepreneurs globally and support their success. Word for word, our vision statement. And I was like, this is power. This is powerful. Wow. And when I step back, like these things can happen. What a great feeling. But that feeling I imagine is only compounded if you're hiring the right people and putting your vision as your North star and never deviating from that. Can you kind of speak to how that trickles down, like having this big vision and getting the right people to embody it? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, a, a principle that we have at Future Females maybe going to sound a little blunt, but it is what it is. It's hire slow, fire fast, because attitude is so much, so important in this business. We're also doing things that a lot of people haven't ever done before, or at least in South Africa. So there's not necessarily the existing skill set that we can hire, probably not also for our budgets back in the day. So we would really recruit for people who see the vision and who share our values. Some of our most effective recruitment was actually like from our events. Our very first hire was a part-time intern. We were sitting the night before going, my God, this is hectic, we need an intern. Flora came up and was like, do you need an intern? We're like, yes, please. And now she's our marketing director. So I think it's about hiring for attitude and then nurturing and coaching into the right role. And then firing fast because like, when you do hire and place such importance on culture and, and attitude, one bad seed or negative comment can ruin everything. So we're very conscious of that. Awesome. So now a little bit of a shift towards more slightly more personal conversation. You've spoken about your partner a fair amount and uh, in very glowing terms. So uh, to be pointed about this, how has your relationship with him uh, affected or influenced how you build things and how you cope with things and just generally how you are as an entrepreneur? Oh, so I would say that working together made us stronger. He would say it was hell. <laughs> <laughs> I think my partner would say the same. After we worked together for seven years, she was like, never again. That was it. We're done now. Yeah, genuinely. <laughs> He'd try to go to bed at 10 p.m. I'd be like, what? You don't care no. about our business? <laughs> Half day? Half day? What is this? 
<laughs> exactly. Right. So, uh, yeah, in hindsight, I see his point. I definitely think that there's nothing more powerful you can do than build something from nothing with someone else. And if I can think about future females, like I, st I think of him as one of the co-founders. My co-founder actually left the business for two years and Bevan, my partner, had to step in. I was like, everything is so overwhelming. I need you to help me. Like, you just have to do this. And he steps in. He's my, he's kind of like the weight that holds down the helium balloon and I'm the helium balloon. So for, for me, it's always been very powerful. I think for him, being the second fiddle to me in a business where I'm the face is, is never going to feel empowering. So it came to a, a natural parting of ways in that perspective. But we still, we still have a property business together. So we're still doing something. For better or worse, that's what you're in. Okay, and then I think the, the last major theme that I want to touch on is this idea of mental health because it is a tough thing. Building anything is difficult and it should be difficult. Otherwise, everybody could just do it. But how in this near business death experience that we've spoken about, like how did you, you've spoken about the shadow stuff, but how did you cope day to day with the mental health strain that going through something for a year put you under? Mm. I don't know that I was coping day to day. I'm super emotional. So I'll be like ecstatic one day and then the next day I'll be devastated. And that's the roller coaster of my life. I think, I think I've just learned to embrace that. And actually, you know, we were talking about the Enneagram before, but another um, framework that I love is human design. And I'm the manifester. And I, this is my favorite personality assessment tool, I guess you can call it, because it describes your energy levels. And a manifester is kind of like a Pokemon ball. I don't know, what, what are you? Do you know? I have no idea. Okay, well, definitely do it. So manifest is like a Pokeball. You know, you, you close up and you have to renew all of your energy and then you're ready to explode. And somehow that gave me the peace to just be okay with wherever I am at, like the acceptance and almost the vocabulary around it as well. So I think it's just come from self-acceptance and realizing like, I'm doing the best that I can. Uh, I'm going to fuck some stuff up and it is what it is. But if you'd probably asked me yesterday, I would have started crying. So <laughs> that I, you know what, it's, it's not an answer anybody's ever given me, but it is an answer that I like um, and that I think I need to take on board too, because sometimes things are going to be bad. And if you fight that, then you're never going to get to the good. And sometimes things are going to be good. And as entrepreneurs, we fight that too. And we're like, oh, they're good, but they're going to go bad. Let me just fight the good too. And if you practice what you've just said about accepting your position, which I'm trying to do as a nihilist, like I believe the thing that I do today is the most important thing that I should be doing. It's where all my attention should go. So that does make sense to me as a way to help your mental health is like, this is where you are. Exactly. And uh, so I actually have a quote tattooed on me. It says, this is temporary. People think it's a joke, but it's not. And it really <laughs> embodies everything for me. Like the skin is temporary. When you're down, it's temporary. When you're up, it's temporary. And like when I have that in mind, it just keeps me going more positively. We definitely share sentiments because on my wrist, I have tattooed, this too shall pass. Ah, amazing. I love because it. this is temporary. Everything, happiness or sadness will pass. Both of them are not permanent, like being up or being down. It's just going to pass. Okay, this has been illuminating. And I want to ask if there is anything from that near business death experience that you've taken with you into the rest of the things that you've built, like anything specific or broad, like it's up to you. You've got the floor. So I've taken something with me, but I don't know that it's a good thing. I guess I've learned I, I never now put my, all of my eggs in one basket. So I 
believe in building a portfolio approach to your business. So what I mean by that is if I'm teaching someone to start a course, I'm not just gonna help you launch that course, I'm gonna help you design your knowledge business so that you can have a low ticket, a high ticket, an evergreen, which means some, something that's always for sale rather than something you launch, so that if one stream starts deteriorating, you can compensate with the other. I guess I've learned to be a little bit more risk averse. Yep, that makes complete sense to me. And it is definitely something that I think I've practiced as I've gotten older too. When I was younger, I was all in on everything, literally bet my house, bet my savings on the startup and oh, fuck it, I'll make more money. And as you get older, you get a little bit tired of that like up and down of holy shit, everything is in this. And the thing that I find interesting is that we, we live in a time with tech businesses where it is all or nothing. Raise mm -hmm. a ton of money and then build a billion dollar business or die. And I think that we're leaning towards startups that are real, that have actual income, that are binary, they're black or white, they're not looking at future anything. It's like, I wanna build a slow, profitable, sustainable business. And like, doesn't that sound great? So I think we're moving towards that kind of world. And that's why I think your advice is a good one. Like be smart, hedge and, and figure th things out before you just plow in full on. But I mean, we need to talk more because I'm actually working on launching a venture capital firm this year with a couple of incredible partners, Shirley and Serena. But our logo is a zebra. We literally are going to invest in zebra businesses for that reason. They also typically have more of a social and community, social purpose and community orientation. So awesome. Crazy. I love that. And I think that this is going to be a trend. I think you're at the front of a trend um, because there is a pushback, especially after COVID. We are burned out by life, never mind needing to be burned out by business and forcing ourselves to think that growth for the sake of growth is cool when it isn't. Look at how Uber and WeWork and Groupon and the list goes on and endlessly on. Like mm. sustainable businesses are okay. Profitable businesses are good. It's perfectly fine to have profit and not go for growth as your main target. It's batshit crazy that I even have to say that out loud, <laughs> but that's okay to build a profitable business. Lauren, this has been really great. So before we sign off, please tell people where they can find your courses, where they can find you, uh, follow you and get in touch with you if they'd like to. Thank you. It's been such an awesome chat. So I'm pretty easy to find if you have Instagram. Uh, you can go to just lauren.dallas. That's the best place to connect if you're a coach or aspiring coach and you're interested in, in some of what we were talking about around the courses and knowledge business. Um, or you can just go to at Future Females if you're a female entrepreneur or aspiring female entrepreneur or an ally and you just want to be involved in, in this global community. We have a pretty exciting launch coming up um, in July. So you can just follow our page and you'll be first to know. Amazing. Thank you for joining me. And I am so excited to say that for you and future females, it's not over. Woo! <laughs> Thank you. Awesome.